Learn continually. There's always one more thing to learn. Steve Jobs. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast for episode 201. On the lessons learned from our top 10 all-time episodes, as we reflect on the episodes that you chose to be the most impactful since we launched back in June of 2019. For those returning, welcome back. And for those new, I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator from Toronto, Canada, now in Arizona. And like many of you listening, have been fascinated with learning, understanding, and applying the most current research that we can all use to improve our productivity in our schools, our sports, and workplace environments. I launched this podcast as a solution to bring these ideas directly to you. We're now well into our seventh season with a focus on brain health and well-being this year, And it hit me while recording our 200th episode that it would be helpful to take a look back and review the top lessons learned since launching this podcast over three years ago. There's so much content that's been covered, and while I can't mention every episode, you can always go back and scroll through the website and pick episodes that stand out to you when looking for something new to learn. I still listen to these older episodes and always pick up something of value from each one. Like we said, as we recapped our 200th episode, we picked high quality guests intentionally and the content reflects these high caliber speakers. While preparing for this episode, I glanced at the top 10 all time episode list that I've included in the show notes And a few things came to my mind that I thought would be helpful to share with this review. Before I get to the lessons learned from our top episodes, I wanted to share some of the key lessons learned from the production side of things. Many people reach out to me asking questions like, how did you launch this podcast? Or what would you have done differently if you were to do everything over again? And there's definitely one thing I would have done differently. If you scroll all the way down on our Podbean website to our first six months, you might see the downloads next to each episode are lower than you might expect up until December of 2019. This is not just because we were starting out. Earlier episodes averaged around 300 downloads in the beginning compared to 1,000 per episode now. But I'll tell you one of the biggest errors I made launching this podcast that impacted our numbers right from the beginning. If you look next to each episode, you can see the number of downloads for that episode. And in the beginning, anything created in 2019, I saved the audio files in the M4A format, which is the format that Camtasia, where I do all my editing, defaults to after saving an audio file. For those listening who don't deal with audio files, think about it as one of those errors that you want to prevent others from ever doing in the future. Who knew that Spotify, our third largest source of traffic, with Apple Podcasts as our first, and Podbeam, our host as second, only accepts MP3 audio files. So when setting up this podcast, I realized six months into it that I had an error message on the connection to Spotify and zero downloads from this source. 
It took six months to notice this error because there's a lot to do with launching a podcast, but a mistake like this had to be fixed sooner than later. To do this, we had to reformat all audio files from the M4A format to MP3 for our podcast to appear on Spotify. And that meant that any episode created in 2019 was reset to zero. This was a huge lesson to learn when downloads are important for the spread of your podcast, but I'm glad we fixed it earlier on. If you're thinking of launching a podcast, be sure to record all audio files in the MP3 format. I wish I knew this in the beginning. There weren't any other big aha moments from the production side of things that stick out, other than the fact that there was this annoying crackling sound with the audio in our earlier episodes. I still have no idea what was interfering with the audio in those earlier days, but the new Rodecaster Pro soundboard that we implemented in 2021 eliminated that problem, and I don't think I would have changed the way we launched. I wanted to see if this idea would gain traction before we purchased all the high-tech equipment that we use now and will continue to improve as we move forward. So now on to our episode lessons. According to you, the listener, the number one all-time favorite was episode number 120 with my personal review of the Fisher-Wallace wearable medical device for anxiety, depression, and sleep management with over 5,100 downloads. I mentioned on our previous episode that I received the most feedback from this one as I think that people really wanted to know there's a real person behind the review who really did try the device. If you listen to this episode, you'll see that I was looking to improve my sleep, which it did, much more than the gold standard of 20 minutes improvement each night, and it was a non-evasive, drug-free way to do this. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who say that they barely sleep at all, and with sleep being one of the top five health staples that we covered on a bonus episode where we reviewed seasons one to four at the end of 2020... And the fact that in my brain scan evaluation from Amen Clinics on episode 94, Dr. Creato told me that my brain looked sleep deprived, I knew it was important to take a closer look at new ways to improve our sleep. Remember that I'm just providing my experience of testing out this device, and everyone is different, but I do highly recommend trying it if sleep is something you're looking to improve. They do offer a 30-day trial, and I saw the benefits well before the 30-day mark. I was less high-strung or anxious and calmer with my day-to-day activities. The improvements were significant enough that I continue to use this device every morning since this review while I do my meditation, and I seriously thought I would just be using it only for that month that I was conducting the review. Moving on to our second most popular episode of all time, that was episode 162 with Dr. Anna Lemke, the medical director of addictive medicine at Stanford University, on her new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. When I saw Dr. Lemke on Dr. Andrew Huberman's podcast and then received a newspaper article written by Dr. Lemke on my car when I was hiking from a good friend who I was talking to about how addictive technology can be, I knew I had to reach out to Dr. Lemke for this interview. 
It wasn't until after I'd read her book that I figured out she was in the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, where she discusses the addictive nature of social media, explaining that it taps into our basic biological imperative to connect with other people that directly affects the release of dopamine and the reward pathway. And she warns us that there's no doubt that a vehicle like social media, which optimizes this connection between people, is going to have the potential for addiction. There are many important lessons in this interview, but the one that stood out the most to me and even surprised me during the interview was that Dr. Lemke said that technology or video games or whatever it is we're doing that we enjoy too much floods our brain with dopamine. And if we can take a month off from our drug of choice, this will allow our brain to reset its dopamine balance and that after a month off, you can test it out and see if you're able to go back to whatever it is you were overindulging with in a more controlled manner. If we can figure out how to reset our dopamine balance and keep our use of whatever it is we enjoy to a level that doesn't flood our brain, we'll be happier balanced, and don't have to give up entirely the things that we enjoy. Our next episode, The Neuroscience of Personal Change, with Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People from episode 68, came in as the third most downloaded episode, and this one sat at the number one spot until that review of the Fisher-Wallace device took over. What's funny to me about this episode is that I remember sitting in the lobby at a local resort in Arizona with my laptop open as I was writing this script, and I knew I was missing something. This episode seemed boring, and it wouldn't even hold my attention. So I did what I usually do when I'm bored, and I scrolled through my social media accounts to see if I could learn something new that would give me a new perspective and add something of value to this episode. I'm always reading, watching, listening, and learning from those around me, and then add these ideas into the podcast. Then I saw it. I read a social media post from my mentor, Greg Link, who I've mentioned in past episodes. He's the mentor who I drove three hours each way to thank for the ideas that he's given me over the years with this work. As co-founder of the Covey Leadership Center, Greg was the one who orchestrated the strategy that led Dr. Stephen R. Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, to become one of the best-selling books of the 20th century, according to CEO Magazine, selling over 20 million copies in 38 languages. He created the marketing momentum that helped to propel the Covey Leadership Center from a startup company to a $110 plus million enterprise with offices in over 40 countries. When he writes something, I always pay attention, and what he has to say is always insightful and profound. This time, what he wrote was full of his own personal insight on what was happening in the world today. It was June of 2020. And his post was a very personal reflection that mentioned the Seven Habits book in habit number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's been a couple of years since I read his post, but it stopped me in my tracks and made me think about how it's typical that when communicating, we often want to say our point first without practicing what Stephen Covey called empathetic listening. I knew at that moment that I wanted to think about how all of the habits, including the eighth one that's covered in a whole new book, 
and see how neuroscience could be connected to this best-selling book. It was this episode that Chris Gargano, the vice president and executive producer of the New York Jets, would find our podcast as he was looking for content for his leadership course that he teaches at NYU and mentioned it was ambitious to make these correlations. And looking back at this episode, it was a lot of work to dive deep into each one of the habits with this new angle. The biggest lesson for me thinking about this episode is that the first three habits are all about managing ourselves. Habits four to six are about leading others, and habits seven and eight are about unleashing our potential. Habit eight that Stephen Covey wrote a whole new book on is about finding your voice and inspiring others to find theirs. And it gave me some insight into why Greg Link might have sent me ideas over the years. It was the eighth habit, and he was living it. So my lesson number three from episode 68 is the eighth habit. Find your voice and inspire others to find theirs. I met Greg Link through Bob Proctor around the time that Doug Weed came in to speak at the seminars in 2002, and it was just about the time where my passion for working with young people with leadership concepts was just emerging. If you see Greg's background, you'll see he was a very busy guy. And when I met him at a seminar in California, we were in the lobby of the Ritz-Carlton, and it's now the Langham Huntington in Pasadena, where he introduced me to Stedman Graham, who's known as the longtime partner of Oprah. Stedman was there with a basketball team, and he had just published the Teens Can Make It Happen book. It wasn't just me that Greg Link was giving ideas to, but he gave others like Stedman ideas for how to make a book successful because that's the eighth habit. Find your voice and inspire others to find theirs. So what's your vision? Remember, we all have the ability to impact the world by taking our mental energy and creating a vision, challenging our physical energy with discipline, unleashing this energy towards what we're passionate about and tapping into our spiritual side to further develop our talents and abilities. We can all do this. And once we've got to where we're going, we can role model the way for others to do the same, just like Greg Link showed me. Moving on to the fourth most listened episode was number 168 with Dr. Bruce Perry and Steve Grainer on the book Dr. Perry wrote with Oprah, What Happened to You, that brings together all the work Dr. Perry has done over the years at the Neurosequential Network. I put the link to Dr. Perry's resources in the show notes because this is where I started to get to know his work as I followed his trainings that he did when the pandemic first began. Dr. Perry's work explains how traumatic events impact the brain, and I did find Oprah's parts of the book to be difficult to read as they were highly emotional, but Dr. Perry's intentional use of offsetting the difficult parts of the book with neuroscience made for a balanced learning experience. So lesson number four came from episode 168 with Steve Grainer, who I found out in the interview as a childhood friend of Dr. Perry, who now works with him as a project director implementing the neurosequential model for sport. And he said, as a teacher and as a coach, why don't I know this? He went on to explain that he understood Dr. Perry's model much better as a coach than as a teacher and applied his model to his coaching first and then eventually to his teaching. Even though he was Dr. Perry's childhood friend, he didn't know everything he was teaching. 
and when he looked at the model, everything made sense in a way he'd never seen it before. This lesson made me see exactly why we must keep learning about the brain and applying what we're learning to our work and lives. Moving on to our fifth most downloaded episode, where the journey with this social-emotional learning began with my mentor, Bob Proctor, from episode 66. I list 10 important lessons learned at the start of our interview together, and I dove much deeper into more lessons learned from working with him over six years on episode 67. But when the news hit that my dear mentor had passed away at the beginning of February, it took me a week or so, but I eventually watched our interview on YouTube to see if I could learn something new while reflecting back on everything. I did pick up a few lessons, and one wasn't immediate. It took me some time to step back and look at something he said to me from a different angle to find the answer I was looking for. Have you ever done that? Looked at something from a different perspective to learn something new? This is how it happened. During Bob's memorial service, everyone was sharing their stories of how Bob impacted them and their lives, and it was his son, Brian, who said something that connected the dots for me. He said that Bob was always leaving people with the impression of increase and explained that he would always leave people in a place of abundance rather than lack and limitation. Brian shared this story of how Bob would put him to bed and whisper success secrets in his ear at night. And when my girls were little, I did the same to them so that they would begin to infuse this mindset into their non-conscious minds while sleeping. Brian's story made me recall something Bob asked me when I was moving from Toronto, Canada to Arizona, USA in early 2001. He said, are you going to fly first class? And I'm not kidding. Times were really lean in those days. I didn't even know I was going to afford a sandwich when I arrived. But I remember laughing at the thought, trying to hide how scared I was of the unknown. And I just shook my head no and wondered why he would ask me that. It hit me after his memorial service, all these years later, while revisiting our interview at the very end. He said, there's only one corner of the universe I can change, and that's me. Andrea can only change Andrea. It's very important that we understand that. The only thing that Bob can change is Bob. You can't change anyone else. You might inspire others to change or cause them to look at things differently, but the only corner of the universe I can be certain of improving is my own self. And he went on to say, when we understand that, we'll stop letting outside conditions define us, control us, and dictate where we're going to go and what we're going to do. This took me right back to the day when he said, are you going to fly first class? And my bank account didn't have enough money in it for a first class ticket, so I said no. He was giving me the impression of increase, trying to stretch my mind to think beyond what I could see. There was coach and there was first class. I don't think he expected me to be reckless and spend money I didn't have, but he wanted to show me there was another option. 20 years later, when traveling with the family, We do always check to see if we can fly first class, depending on points and availability. But in those lean years, I didn't even consider this option. Bob couldn't do this for me, but he could say something to give me the impression of increase that maybe there was another way to move to a new country. He could motivate me by his example, but the work had to be done by me over my lifetime. And the same for you listening. Keep learning, 
growing, and applying everything that we learn. This lesson took another turn while writing this episode, as I was trying to find the Ritz-Carlton in Pasadena, where I put a photo in the show notes of me standing in front of this fountain, and it was the day I met Greg Link and Stedman Graham in the lobby. And this was before I'd published my book for teens and was just creating the vision for my future. My husband looked at the photo and he said, I know I stayed there in 2019, remembering a sports team he saw there, and he found a photograph of exactly that same spot 17 years later. Who knew when I stood there in 2002, as I was just creating the vision for my future, that my future husband would stand there years later on a business trip? The impression of increase has new meaning now, and I'm so grateful to have learned this lesson showing me that we can all create the vision that we want and create a truly beautiful life. Why wouldn't we choose this option over lack and limitation? Moving on to the sixth most downloaded episode with Dr. Michael Gaskell on episode 172 on leading schools through trauma, which was the title of his second book. Dr. Gaskell has a unique story because his books and strategies stem not only from his experience working in schools and offering trauma-informed solutions from what he sees working in his day-to-day world, but he takes it a step deeper being a former student who was labeled himself as anxious, low-performing, hostile, and other terms that pointed to the characteristics of trauma. I know that being trauma-informed is an important topic from Dr. Perry's work as well as Dr. Lori Desitel's work, and this interview provides hope that the work being done in our classrooms today can have a profound impact on our students of the future who may show these signs of struggle for a reason. The lesson number six from Dr. Gaskell on episode 172 is to look deeper into why a student might be misbehaving or struggling and invest the time to get to know this student. He says this is a critical investment and that he was one of those struggling students himself and no one ever gave up on him. Michael Gaskell's book and interview helped me to understand how to recognize trauma and he offers tools and resources for being trauma-informed in today's classrooms. Moving on to our seventh most downloaded episode, which was number 174 with Dr. Francis Lee Stevens on effective neuroscience and psychotherapy, where he explained what he thought was missing from psychotherapy and how his new book on effective neuroscience fills this missing link. With the rise in mental health issues that we can all clearly see have emerged since this global pandemic, and the fact that on episode 188, we uncovered that one quarter of Americans intend to improve their mental health in 2022. So the lesson number seven from Dr. Francis Lee Stevens from episode 174, we learned of the importance of addressing our feelings to make an impact on our mental and physical health and that changing our thinking can help us to cope with our emotions, but we need to address our emotions to have long-term change in our health. In his book, Effective Neuroscience and Psychotherapy, his goal is to change the feelings we have that we don't like, not just manage the symptoms. And our eighth most downloaded episode was number 161 from our second interview with Douglas Fisher, Nancy Fry, and our new introduction to John Almerode with their new book from Corwin Press, How Learning Works. 
Douglas Fisher and Nancy Fry were returning guests from episode 77 on developing and delivering high-quality distance learning for students that still is our number one most watched YouTube interview with over 6,000 views. On this episode, it being an early one, as times were really busy, I remember having the worst cold, and for some reason, my internet kept dropping and disconnecting the interview. I'm sure no one listening noticed this, as editing does wonders, but it's what I remember from this episode looking back. This book was written, as John Almarode explains, to build a bridge between the research and classroom practice, and in part two of their book, they talk about how to adapt promising principles and practices to meet the specific needs of your students, particularly regarding motivation, attention, encoding, retrieval and practice, cognitive load and memory, productive struggle, and feedback. Douglas Fisher describes the promising principle of attention and explains that life in the classroom would be much easier if we had our students' undivided attention for the whole day, but this is just not reality. He breaks this principle down by showing us what attention in the classroom means, what goes into paying attention, What are the practices that we can enact as teachers to improve and address the need for our students to pay attention and what the research says about the need for attention in the classroom and what can we do right now? The lesson number eight from episode 161 on how learning works to me proves that there is a bridge between the science of learning and classroom practices And this book provides the steps needed for us to cross this bridge and put theory into practice. What stuck out the most for me in this interview, aside from all the resources and tools, was that Douglas Fisher explains in the beginning of the interview how he became interested in studying the connection between the brain and learning back in 2007 when he realized that everyone was talking about the brain and he knew nothing about how the brain was connected to learning. So he signed up for a neuroanatomy seminar with doctoral students and went every Thursday night from 7 to 9.40 to figure out how the brain learns and how a teacher can use this. There were two final episodes to include our top 10 list of all times, and they were both Brain Fact Fridays. Spot number 9 was the neuroscience of belief, and spot 10 was overcoming digital addictions. And I'll let you go back and review these on your own, Mostly because it's Thursday afternoon and I'm still writing and recording this episode and I think it's time to wrap this one up. To bring this episode in for a close, let's review the top lessons learned from the episodes you chose to listen to the most since we launched this podcast over three years ago. Lesson one was the Fisher-Wallace wearable medical device and how it improved my sleep by more than the 20-minute gold standard. If you're one of those people who know that your sleep needs some help, I would begin by measuring your sleep using free apps that you can find on your phone. You don't need to start out with all the fancy tools right away, but begin to get an idea of how long you're sleeping, how much REM sleep you're getting, and become familiar with what a sleep cycle looks like. If you want to hear the episode with Kelly Roman, the CEO of Fisher-Wallace Labs, and their wearable medical devices to help improve sleep while also treating anxiety and depression, go back and listen to episode 108. I really did think that after the month trial and my review that I would stop using the device because I really didn't think it was going to make that much of a difference for me. 
I'm grateful that I found this device that's cleared by the FDA for the treatment of depression, anxiety, and insomnia, and I'll always share what I think can help us to improve the quality of our life, especially around the top five health staples. Lesson two was a dopamine fast can reset your brain. And I'd heard of dopamine fasting before I came across Dr. Lemke's Dopamine Nation book, but I didn't understand just how easy it was to flood our brain with dopamine, causing us to feel off balance. I almost didn't believe her when she said in our interview that many of her patients can go back to doing whatever it was they enjoyed doing with some modifications after a month off once their brain had reset until I tried it myself. If there's something you're doing that's causing you to feel off balance, you should be able to kick whatever it is on your own or with an accountability partner to help you, and Dr. Lemke's interview explained exactly how to do this. Lesson three was the eighth habit, find your voice and inspire others to find theirs. This lesson begins with you, and looking back, I can't forget those early days when I wasn't sure of myself and didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted and was still searching for my own voice. When I met Stedman Graham and saw that he'd written a book for teens, I remember thinking, oh, that book's going to do so well. He's got Oprah to help him to promote it. And I almost shrank back from writing my own book for teens until I saw that even the longtime partner of Oprah took advice from those around him like Greg Link, who was role modeling the way. Find your voice first and then inspire others to find theirs. You won't be able to do it for them, but you can role model the way for everyone who'll be watching you. Lesson four came from Steve Grainer, who works from Dr. Perry at the Neural Sequential Network, when he said, as a teacher and a coach, why don't I know this? And he was talking about the neural sequential model they teach. This is exactly why we launched this podcast, as we search for new ideas that can accelerate the teaching and learning process with the understanding of neuroscience made simple. If I had Dr. Perry's upside-down triangle when I was teaching those behavioral kids as a first-year teacher in Toronto, it would have explained everything to me like it did for Steve. I wouldn't have operated by trial and error like I did when I told my students to run around the school building when they were misbehaving, since that was the only way they would listen. Aha moment, they listened because they were regulated after the exercise, leading me to conclude, like Steve did at the very beginning of this episode, why didn't I know this? Lesson five came from Bob Proctor. Leave everyone you come in contact with, with the impression of increase. This concept actually came from chapter 14 of the book, The Science of Getting Rich, by Wallace D. Waddles, written in 1903, and the concept still holds today, almost 120 years later. Wallace wrote, when dealing with other people, whether directly, by telephone, or by letter, this book was clearly written over 100 years ago, the key thought should be to convey the impression of increase. Since we all desire increase, we all want to be, do, or have more in our life, and we're always seeking fuller expression. So how do we do this? Always look for the good in people and point it out to them. Tell them what you see and don't hold back. There's so much good in every person, and when you look for it, you'll see it. Make this a habit and a way of life. Always leave everyone you come in contact with with the impression of increase. 
Lesson six came from Dr. Gaskell on episode 172, and it was to never give up on a struggling student since he was one of these students who didn't fall through the cracks, and he went on to attain high levels of achievement with his career, helping others to do the same. I think this is the beginning for Dr. Gaskell's work, as he continues to write more books and present on this topic around the country. This lesson reminds me of the quote by Theodore Roosevelt, that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I don't like the idea of giving up on anything, but this takes it to a new level when you think of the unlimited potential locked up inside all of our students and not knowing what each student is capable of doing or creating in their lifetime. Lesson seven came from Dr. Francis Lee Stevens from episode 174, where we learned of the importance of looking beyond the thoughts we have that are bothering us to the feelings behind the thoughts to make long-term change possible. For example, if something is bothering you, it might take some time to figure this out, but you can go deeper and see if you can make connections to your past to when you felt this way and how this experience made you feel like maybe I'm not good enough or something like that. When you can begin to make sense of why you feel a certain way, you can begin to heal the past that brings healing to your present day. I see the connection with Dr. Stevens' work and Dr. Carolyn Leaf's work from a bonus episode we released this time last year with her book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, that covers a five-step process to reduce anxiety and toxic thinking. And finally, our lesson number eight came from episode 161 on how learning works, and it proves to me there's a bridge between the science of learning and the classroom. Douglas Fisher admitted he knew nothing about how the brain learns back in 2007. He mentioned he felt incompetent and behind without this understanding, and that's what drove him to sit in on a neuroanatomy class with doctoral students to make this connection. Listening to Douglas Fisher's introduction to neuroscience took me back to why we launched this podcast in the first place, to make neuroscience simple. As I remember being awarded grant money to put our programs in Arizona schools, and an educator told me I needed to understand the science behind learning and write a new book for my program, and I began to question whether or not I was capable of doing this. Seven years later, I'm so glad I didn't give up on the idea of making neuroscience simple and easy for all of us to understand. I hope you've enjoyed reviewing these top episodes as much as I have, and know that each time you listen to them again, you'll learn something new. I'll see you next week, and I hope that wherever you're listening to this episode, that you and your families are safe. Until next time. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.